We tonight are in Nehemiah 6, and we're changing stuff up here a little bit on Wednesday nights. We are going to first see if we can have the miracle of a 30-minute Bible study, followed up by a 15-minute miracle discussion, and then another miracle time of seeking the Lord, all in an hour. And uh, we'll see if we can do that. But remember, chapter 5 was a unique chapter because the attack was coming from the inward side. Remember, many of the tribe of Judah were not putting their shoulder to the work, but they had time and energy to figure out how to make money on all the people who were building the wall. Amazing, they didn't have a conscience to, to, to see how wrong that was. But they were giving high interest rates so they could pay their taxes and buy food for their families. And eventually they couldn't make the interest payments. And rather than the people being gracious, they said, well, we'll just have to sell you into slavery. And they were selling their kids off to slavery, even to non-Jewish people, which again, it's astounding. Well, finally the word got to Nehemiah and he stopped it and was angry and put an end to it. But all the outward attacks never stopped the work. But the inward attack did stop the work. And that's where we ended last week. Now, chapter 6 is a glorious chapter. Because it says in verse 1, It happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, Grisham, the Arab, and the rest of uh, our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sambalat Grisham sent to me saying, ah, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? And they sent to me this message four times. And I answered them in the same manner. So these guys, they thought the wall had been completed, even though it hadn't quite been completed. The gates had not thoroughly been hung yet. But all the wall had been built at that time. So there were no more people carrying stones and up on ladders on the, on the top part of a wall. That, that had ended. And so it appeared to them, it, it, those who didn't look close enough, that had, it was 100% done, which in reality, they were still working on the gates. But they had to come up with a new plan. I think they were a bit surprised that it happened so quick. We're going to see here in just a minute, 52 days is all that went by, and it was completed. So I, I think the enemy thought this is going to be a six-month year project, and, and, and we can sort of move at that pace in attacking them. And they, they did launch several attacks, but then they realized we barely started attacking and it's over. They, they've already got it done. And so the only thing they could come up in a rush was let's take Nehemiah on a retreat and kill him. <laughs> and about 30 miles past Bethlehem heading uh, to the the northwest of Jerusalem was up the area of Benjamin or Judah. And uh, it was a, a town there that was sort of neutral territory in a sense, they were thinking that uh, they could both rest and, and not be 
surrounded by their people. But the plan was to kill him. And, and that would be the end of, of the story. But he discerned that through their smiles and their niceness and, and them painting this picture, how wonderful of a retreat center it is and how they just want to, you know, let bygones be bygones and, and everybody, you know, get along and we are the world and, and uh, you know, whatever it is, I, I don't know. Nehemiah said, these guys are trying to get me to a place, yeah, a retreat center where nobody's around and they can kill me. To do me harm. They knew it. He had discernment. Discernment is being able to see things not from the outward and what man is saying, but to have a spiritual insight from God's point of view of what's really going on in the heart of the matter. So if I'm just going to believe at face value, it sounds like these guys are really wanting to bury the hatchet and to figure out a way for them all to get along and cohabitate and bless each other and get along in peace. That was on the outside. But God gave him an inside spiritual insight that they actually, amongst all their smiles, had murder in their heart. You guys might remember that in 1 Samuel 16, 7, where the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Perfect, perfect definition of discernment. First Corinthians 12.10, it tells us that one of the supernatural gifts of the Spirit that God gives is the discerning of spirits. David Guzik says this, many people confuse being discerning with just being negative or critical. But discernment is just as able to see the good where others might miss it as it is a seeing the bad, where others might see good according to the outward appearance. So some people in the name of discernment are just critical fault-finding people. And it's not discernment at all, it's just a critical spirit. But uh, the real insight is being able to see Jesus having discernment at the heart of the woman at the well, at the rich young ruler. There's other insights where he saw that people uh, needed a spiritual answer for where they were at that only God could give. And so I love this where he just thinks out loud and he, they can hear it where he's like, why should I leave the work to go down to the likes of you? Do you think retreating with you guys <laughs> and oh no would be more <laughs> joyful than laboring right here with God's people. David Guzik also says, if the enemy can distract God's people, then he has won. If he can start majoring on the minors or monitoring on the majors, we've lost our effectiveness for the work of the Lord. You know, that, that's so important because so, Satan so often doesn't need to come in with some evil plan he can come up with a good plan. <laughs> you know, hey, here's another orphanage to get involved in. And it's like, we already have four orphanages we're involved in. And does the Lord have us to do one more <laughs> orphanage? Well, how can you say no to the poor orphans? Well, we've got to say no. There's, there's 30,000 orphanages in the world and we can't support them all. So, you know, by pure math, we're going to have to say no somewhere. So... But yet there's people that will try to take the harness of the church and 
run it in some direction and and in the name of good things major on the minors or keep people from being able to really major on the majors and four times they came we'll see in a minute the fifth time they came with an open letter but four times they're just hammering on him manipulating him trying to give him another reason to leave Jerusalem and go with them James 4 7 says resist the devil he will flee from you but you've got to resist because he's going to keep manipulating and pounding it's interesting in my mind when I read this chapter and really the whole book of Nehemiah you know I, I pastored a church in the last 15 20 years I pastored we had close to 200 employees I had several department heads and we had a real mixed multitude when it came with the school. Because you can have a good-hearted mom teach kindergarten, but you can't have a good-hearted mom teach calculus to the seniors. You know what I mean? Um, you got to hire somebody that knows calculus or is a mathematician or these kind of things. And, and sometimes they're not always the people that are where they should be spiritually. But yet, you've got to hire somebody. And so you end up making a lot of compromises. And then you do that again and again and again. And all of a sudden, you've got a very mixed multitude. And it is interesting. When I, when I look at this, I've seen these things happen just like this. Where carnal men will get together trying to direct things in a way they want them directed but they want to manipulate it in such a way that it's your idea. <laughs> they want to manipulate things in such a way that you'll see the wisdom in what they want, their agenda. And it's, it's amazing how they can get down and dirty and nasty when they don't get their way. And they're not above lying and rumors and gossip to really hurt their department head or hurt uh, somebody that they feel wronged them in the school. Just carnality that you wouldn't want to ever see in a church or in this case, a church school. And so I, I've seen these kind of people. And, and honestly, the first few times I saw it, I, I saw it, but I didn't believe it's what could be happening. You know? We're going to find out Tobiah is of the tribe of Judah. He's married into the priesthood. His, all these other guys are married into the household of Israel, and they've all got preeminent wives and children and parents and in-laws. And, I mean, and, and these guys literally want to murder Nehemiah. And if after they murder him, they really want to destroy Jerusalem. They really are, the, even though they are a Jew, are part of the household of the Jews, they want to destroy the Jewish nation. They are Jews, but they want the nation of the Jews destroyed. Sort of sounds familiar um, with our country, doesn't it? <laughs> Foolish people, ignorant. And, and you're looking at this and you hear the lies and, and you just sort of, this can't be really happening. But yet, then you discover it's exactly what it looks like 
these guys are all talking about taking you out hunting and, you know, taking you down to their favorite spring and swimming. And, and the whole time, they are definitely going to kill you and bury you in some hole and, and deny that they had anything to do with it. That's exactly the kind of betrayal that can happen. Uh, and these government political things in particular. Well, verse 5. Then Sambalat sent his servants to me, as before, now a fifth time. This time, not with a letter to Nehemiah, but a, a letter to Nehemiah that's an open letter that everybody is to hear. So again, trying to put peer pressure on him. Manipulation. They're going to you know, give this flowery letter that says how we want to get along, but Nehemiah doesn't want to. We offered Nehemiah to take him to Ono and treat him like a king, but he doesn't want it. And we're doing everything we can to be at peace. And Nehemiah is, is just at insulting us. It's all him. And we're just trying to be the most wonderful, gracious people. Well, this time, however, in verse 6, it was, re it was written... It's been reported among the nations, and Grisham says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you as at Jerusalem, saying, There is the king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king, Artaxerxes. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Do you see that? If, if you don't go to Ono with us like we want you to, we can play dirty. And we will send this to Artaxerxes and, and there'll be somebody there in the castle that will believe this. And in verse 8, Then I sent to him saying, No such thing as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they are all were trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now, therefore, God strengthened my hands. I, I honestly believe, and I, again, I, these things are so familiar to me in the years, in the decades of, of leading and helping out other pastors and other ministries and other countries and Bible colleges and, and dealing with sometimes the country politics with the church and the Bible college or whatever. And, and it, it, honestly, I, I don't think Nehemiah's blood pressure went up at all. I think he was in the castle and he's seen these kind of things time and time again. I'm going to just, just let it start being known that you're trying to make yourself king and you got a guy to, you paid a guy to prophesy that you are, God wants you to be king and, and Grisham and, and, and many others, you know, they're all saying the same thing, that, that all the Jews are to rebel and, and fight against Artaxerxes and declare their independence uh, from, from him. And, and Nehemiah is to be the new reigning king of Judah. I would just like to say that there is a great power in the vague accusation. Everyone's talking about. A number of people are saying the whole church is thinking this. <laughs> I've heard those kind of things so many times. But yet when they start getting momentum and people are willing to just repeat it over and over again, no matter how crazy the lie is, there's so many people talking about it. There has to be some truth to it. 
There's so much smoke. There has to be a spark and a fire somewhere. So I don't know if Nehemiah is trying to become king, but somewhere they had some kind of conversation about maybe breaking off from Artaxerxes and doing their own thing and, and maybe Nehemiah down the road to become king. I don't think he's doing it right now, but there's got to be some truth in this. Let me tell you something. Satan is very prideful about the fact that he can get absolute nonsense that has zero truth in it, accusations that are ludicrous to stir up the people and to steer them. And then there's always going to be a percentage of the people that say, there's just so many people saying it. There's got to be something somewhere. And they just keep throwing mud in the air. And they keep throwing dust in the air. And they just keep throwing mud up against the wall. And they just keep making everything dusty and smoky. And, and after a while, you're just, you're just going, hey, I just, I'm out of here. There's just so much dirt and mess and smoke and mud. I, I don't know what's going on. I, I just, I'm out of here. That's Satan's plan. Because he, he doesn't need you to believe the lie. He just needs you to be revulsed by the fact that the lies are being said. And you're just like, I just want peace. It's, it's interesting that that was actually said. That a lot of people didn't vote for Donald Trump because they just wanted to turn the news station on and not hear them talking bad about Donald Trump. They just, they didn't, they just wanted, they knew if Biden was president, they would just, all the media would just calm down and they wouldn't have to be so upset every new, when they turned the news on. That was just a big part of the reason they didn't vote for him is they just didn't want to, he, he ticks everybody off and according to them, it's his fault that everybody's ticked off. And so if he's just gone, there'll just be peace. Even though it's not who I want to be president, I just want peace more than I want the right president. That was an interesting thing. But Satan is no dummy. He just needs stuff to be spread. Jews plan to rebel. Nehemiah said this. I think he's going to make himself king. He's going to appoint prophets. And this is what the prophets are saying. Believe me. Satan's accusations, he often does ludicrous stuff just, just to make you look stupid. Do you remember what he said about Jesus? He's a drunkard. He's a glutton. I, I've had people say, well, you know, I think there was my, maybe Jesus was a little overweight. Maybe he did eat a little much. And, and, you know, maybe he did drink a little too much. And, you know, I don't think he was a drunkard. I don't think he was a glutton. But I think there might be a little truth in that. Well, they also said that he had the, the king of the demons of Galilee in him. And through the power of that demon, he did his miracle. Well, did he have a little bit of demon in him? Was there a little bit of truth in the demon story? No, Jesus never ever came close to being drunk. Jesus never once ever came close to being a glutton. Nowhere near it. And he didn't have a demon in him. And do the power and say the words 
from the power of a demon. Satan is just ludicrous like that. We know that passage well in Revelation 12.10 where Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He stands before God day and night accusing them. David Guzik has a quote. We may as well accept it. The devil knows our hot buttons. <laughs> he knows those lies, those accusations, which will really get to you. He knows how to throw them in your face. We can't stop it. So we have to learn how to deal with it. But these guys are just trying to manipulate him, pressure him now through fear. If you don't want us to start spreading these rumors about you trying to make yourself king, you better come and meet with us. Okay, 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 I'll come and meet with you. You, you checkmated me. Just don't, don't, just quit telling people that I want to be king. I, you think about it. That's the thing that Nehemiah did so much. He did so much work. He sacrificed so much financially to make it clear he wasn't lording over anybody. Even as governor, he didn't take any taxes that he could have. Out of his own pocket, he paid for all the food for about 150 people a day. When, when the Jews couldn't rectify those Jews that had been sold into slavery, he bought them out of slavery with his own finances and let the rich people keep their money because they, they didn't have enough liquid to, to buy the Jews, so he just paid for it himself. He did so many things to make sure no one could ever bring the accusation that he was trying to lift himself up. And that's the very thing that these guys accused him of. Just a, a quick note, don't try to defend yourself. <laughs> it won't do any good whatsoever. I, I love the fact that Nehemiah did exactly what you're supposed to do. He didn't try to debate with him. There's no prophet. What's the prophet saying? Who said that I said I'm going to be king? You bring him here. Let me talk to him. Let, let me tell you. If you think the enemy wants to battle fact to fact with you, he does not. The more you try to defend yourself, the more he loves it. Because he's able to just keep the fire alive by you stoking the fire as he throws gasoline on it. Nehemiah simply said, not true. You invent it in your own head. It's probably because that's what's in your own heart. End of story. Don't try to waste time defending yourself. Such enemies, whether they know they're enemies or not, they don't care about the truth or facts. They simply want to worry you and preoccupy you. They also trust that if they can throw enough dirt, mud, dust in the air, things will look and feel dirty. And that's enough for them to hurt the leader. Many innocent people will believe that those, same, that those some things must be wrong. Something must be wrong with the leader because he has so many people against him. There must be something wrong with Nehemiah. Are all of these very wonderful, reasonable guys like Tobiah and Samballat? Did you ever see how nice Samballat dresses? Tobiah has such a nice haircut. And Grisham, the Arab, you know, he, he heard Nehemiah. Nehemiah actually said to him, he wants to be king. Did you know Grisham said that? And he's an Arab. He's a very honest man. 
And if all of these guys are together in an agreement, there's something wrong with Nehemiah. There must be something wrong. You can't have this many wonderful guys all against Nehemiah and them all be completely wrong. I don't think what everything is saying about Nehemiah is true, but there's got to be something there. That's all they need. That's all Satan needs. Just, just a faint worry, a faint guilt, a faint suspect that things might be possibly wrong. He, that's all he needs to cause great damage. But Nehemiah, they came back trying to put him in fear. And Nehemiah, I don't think his blood pressure went up. I don't think he was afraid whatsoever. When you fear God, you won't fear man. If you fear man, <laughs> you will fear man and continue to fear man. I love this quote by Guzik. No enemy can make us afraid. All they can do is try to make us to choose fear. But it's up to you to choose it. It's amazing how many people can just be paralyzed in fear by what others are saying about them. People will repeat the lies and rumors, and there is little you can do about it. So if you're going to fear and worry about it, then you're, you're, you're choosing that. You don't have to choose that. And then Nehemiah just throws up a quick prayer. God, strengthen my hands. These guys are getting to me. <laughs> I'm not fearing. I trust in you. But they're just irritating people. And we, we know that, don't we? Lord, strengthen my hands. It's not by might nor by power. It's by your spirit. Lord, give us your spirit. Strengthen us. Well, verse 10 to 14. Afterwards, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, the son of Metabel, who was the secret informer, and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they're coming to kill you. Indeed, at night, they will come and kill you. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had, sent him, had not sent him at all but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sembalat had hired him. Whoa, he was on the payroll. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way in sin so that they might have cause for evil report that they might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah, Sembalat, according to these word, works, and the prophetess Nodiah, another lady, I, and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. So this Shemaiah guy was sort of a lead prophet, and he had a bunch of other gals and guys in his little prophet school or whatever, all working together, trying to get Nehemiah on a number of different angles, saying, thus saith the Lord type thing. So they come up with another attack. Okay, we, we can't get him to go to, oh no, I, we finally give up on that. Um, okay, let, let's just try to hurt his reputation. If we can get him to go into the temple, well, how would we do that? Well, he, he's a really spiritual guy. He's open to spiritual things. And, and if we say, 
if, some, if one of these prophets say, hey, I got a word of God for you, he, he will be open to that. I, I think we all should. First Thessalonians 5.20 says, do not despise prophecy. It's interesting that the very next verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.21 is test all things, hold fast to what is good. So be open to the prophecy and do your due diligence and homework whether or not that prophecy is from God. So be open, but don't be open. <laughs> and and I... I, I I've been around Pentecostal groups and they can really cause you to be jaded very quickly because, you know, you're, you're at McDonald's trying to order a Big Mac and they just said, I had a dream last night that you ordered a Big Mac and died. Order the quarter pounder. Oh man, thank God for your dream. Okay, quarter pounder. Fries? What you, would, would, would you dream about fries? Yeah, I... I Literally, I would go to retreats in third world countries. This is very common. And I would have a couple that literally can't stand each other. And the only reason they got married, because they're in this little Pentecostal church in Romania or somewhere like that, and they had a prophecy that God said, you need to get married. So the very next week they got married because the Lord gave a prophecy, you got to get married. And now 10 years later and four kids later, they, they literally realized I was supposed to test all things and hold fast to what was good. And all, all I knew is that if I despise prophecy, I'm despising God. If I you know, listen to the prophets, I will succeed. If I um, don't listen to the prophets, then, then I will fail. And, um, and so I, I think they, they really were trying to take advantage of Nehemiah's spiritual side. It's like, yeah, I'm very open. What, what did the Lord say? What, what verse? I got a verse. I think this is from the Lord for you, Nehemiah. Yeah, tell me. What is it? I, I'm open. I, I love that about him. And because of that sensitivity, he, Shemaiah was able to get traction here. But then when he said, okay, now here's the interpretation to this. They're trying to kill you. We're going to all go into the temple together and we're going to lock the door. Guys, it's very clear, even to the most carnal of Jews, that only the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, could ever go into the temple. The best the children of Israel outside of the Levites could ever do is be on the outer courts of the Gentiles or of the of the temple. Yeah, the court of the Jews, court of the Gentiles, court of the men, court of the women, and all of this. But the average Jew never went even into any portion of the temple. And they're saying him, and I think they're even insinuating, let's go into the Holy of Holies and hide out there. That way they can't kill you. In Nehemiah, or excuse me, in Numbers chapter 1, verse 51, it clearly says that the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. This was just packing up the articles of the tabernacle to move them. You'd die if you tried to touch, you know, even with a cover, trying to cover up something to help the priest out, you'd die. And then, of course, later in Numbers 18, 7, if you go into the temple, the outer... If, if the outsider tries to come into the temple, he'll be put to death. 
You guys might remember wonderful King Uzziah loved the Lord so much. And he just wanted to just do the most insignificant part of a priest's job. To just burn a little incense in the temple. And he was heading to go into the temple and the priest stopped him, which was a very dangerous job, stopping the king. Make a long story short, God struck him with leprosy and he remained with leprosy till the day he died. Even though he was a wonderful spiritual man. So this, this is, Nehemiah is just going, he's prophesying and I'm using discernment and he's contradicting the word of God. But he's saying, let's meet together in the house of God. Isaiah 8.20 and talking about how to identify false prophets says this in Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. This prophet is a pretty dark guy. <laughs> if he could be persuaded with money to say, thus saith the Lord, to deceive a person. And not just any old person. It's a guy who came to sacrifice a lot for the children of Israel. It wasn't for himself. And this guy was willing to, to literally sell his own soul for a little bit of money uh, to do Nehemiah in. But Nehemiah, again, he, he knew what the word of God said. And um, Nehemiah once again has another quick prayer. And he just says, Lord, take care of this prophet, the prophetess, Tobiah, Sambalat, you deal with them. I'm not going to even, I'm not going to even give them a second of my energy of anger or bitterness. I'm just going to say they're a bunch of very evil men and their evilness knows no bounds. And you judge them in your timing, in your way. I'm going to forget about them. Smart, very smart. Well, in verse 15 and 16, so the wall was finished and on the 25th day of Ul, in 52 days. And it happened when all the enemies heard it, that all the nations around us saw these things, and they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by God. Wow. This job that couldn't get done for over about 125 years, these stones are laying there. And the wall can never get built. And you know, it, it would have been an amazing thing if you had four times the amount of people. It was a time with a lot of money, no enemies. Everybody's happy and healthy. And four times the amount of people building in this project and taking six months or a year, we would have said, that's still an amazing thing, right? But when did they do it? They did it when the taxes were high. There was a famine. Every single person in the country and all around about hated their guts. And in one shape, form or another was voting against them, <laughs> was, was hard hearted against them, wanted to see them fail. Daniel prophesied it correctly, didn't he? In Daniel 9, 25, the very end, he says that the, 
Israel or Jerusalem would be built again in the wall and so forth, even in a troublesome time. That's the way Daniel prophetically saw the time Nehemiah would be in Jerusalem. Tobias and Balad, all of these guys, it just, they did it in a troublesome time with nobody cheering them on, everybody cheering their failure, their death, their destruction. And they did it in 52 days. I, I don't know, I don't know. It, it just, it's something we just sort of need to set and meditate on. That less than two months, something that couldn't get figured out to be done in 125 years was done in less than two months, 52 days. Why was the job not done? It wasn't that no one saw the problem. It wasn't that the walls were not wanted. It wasn't that many people saw that the broken walls and the, were running lives and running Jerusalem and keeping them from a place of worship and wishing that there was a wall. Why did the job get done? Finally, there was a true spiritual leader who was actually willing to lead. Understand that. Zerubbabel came, he was a leader. Ezra came, he was a leader. But Nehemiah is an example out of all the Bible. Like David is an example of the king. Nehemiah is an example of a leader. And this is leadership, the power of a godly leadership. There was someone who wanted to see the walls built because God put this burden on their heart. They grieved, they ached, they prayed, they planned, they asked boldly, they went, they fought, they encouraged, they stood strong. He saw the job through completion, through all the troublesome times. And I don't want to forget a very important note. He very quickly was surrounded by a group of people who had this same heart he had. You know, that was really the key. When he said, God's with me. God's good hand is on me. Whatever I'm touching is being blessed. And now God's putting on my heart to touch this wall and that's what I'm going to do. And, and if you want God's blessing in your life, then follow me. Let's build this wall. And they just turned around and got some black ashed rock that probably half of it fell apart when they picked it up dirt all over it and weeds they had to pick off of it they just started building it they just started doing it and and through his leadership they continued doing it together do you get that in other words nehemiah and 10 of his best friends couldn't have done it <laughs> nehemiah and the 400 soldiers or however many he had with him couldn't have done it and Nehemiah and a thousand people really couldn't have done it. It was Nehemiah through leadership getting a hundred, hundreds of different people leading tens and hundreds of other people. They all saw their portion of the wall. They all saw their, their portion that they had to lead to get accomplished under their care and their leadership, under the leadership, all those leaders under Nehemiah. So Nehemiah had to be a leader of leaders. 
And then he had to strengthen those leaders to lead. And all of this had to then have a consistency, just a grinding out, grinding out, grinding out. Valleys, hilltops, hard times. We're going to kill you. <laughs> um, poverty, taxes, famine. It was just a troublesome time. But Nehemiah kept him on course. I love David Guzik's conclusion on this matter. In his quote, he says this. We have such small ideas how God can use us. God used a man named Nehemiah to set right a hundred-year-old problem in less than two months. And the same God sits on the throne in heaven and works through you today. Really, that's what we are doing here at Calvary Chapel Los Alamitos, aren't we? The walls have fallen down. And in essence, we're building up the walls. So once again, worship can happen the way we have seen it in the past, the way it was during the time of Solomon <laughs> in the great temple and all the great ministries and things God did. God wants to do a new work with the new temple, so to speak. And uh, it's going to be an exciting ride. Troublesome times, highs and lows. But I'm excited to see what God's going to do in these next few years that we're all here putting our shoulder to the work. Interesting that we know in, from Nehemiah chapters 1 all the way to chapter 2, verse 1, that Nehemiah prayed for four months, but yet it took less than two months to accomplish what he prayed four months about. Sounds about right, doesn't it? But when all the nations around them saw it, they, they hated it. They were disheartened about it. The work of God was displeasing to them. We should never be surprised about that, should we? But they could not deny the fact that this work had to be done by God. They couldn't deny it. This, this would not, this, it, it doesn't explain. Rocks being piled up by this group of people, no matter how excited they were, should not have accomplished this. I don't think there was enough rocks. Do you think God multiplied those rocks like he did loaves and fishes? I think so. I think they put some little rock in place and overnight God just grew it. <laughs> Became a boulder. I mean, who knows what angels were doing all around about them. You know, some guy should have slipped and broke his neck and an angel is holding him up and he's too tired to even know what's going on. Didn't even know he slipped. The angel just held him up, Right? That they knew that God had built this wall, that it was not just a physical structure, it was a spiritual moment in time. And even though they hate it, they have to acknowledge God did this for them. Well, finishing on verse 17 to 19. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in the Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Hara, and his son, Joahanan, had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to me to frighten me. So all of these Jews in this royal place and these places of position were spying for Tobiah and Sambalat 
and giving him instruction how to hurt Nehemiah, even though they probably didn't understand that's what they were doing. And then they were telling Nehemiah how all the great things Tobiah and Sambalat are doing, how wonderful they are, constantly praising them. When Nehemiah, every time he hears their name, probably cringes, right? Inside, he probably just like milk curdling up, just hearing their name. And they're telling this 20-minute story about, you know, how they, whatever, had a great basketball game at the park or whatever. I, I don't know. But they were completely unaware. Let's not forget chapter 2, verse 10. They were disturbed when Nehemiah came at all to Jerusalem. Chapter 2, 19 and chapter 4, verse 5, they mocked Nehemiah's work. In chapter 4, verse 7, they were angry at the work was being done at all. Chapter 6, we saw in verse 1 that they tried to get Nehemiah to stop the work and tried to get him to go to the plain of Ono to attack him, to kill him. And now these people of Judah who are saying, hey, our loyalty is not to you, Nehemiah. Our loyalty is to them. We, we have business dealings with them. They're part of our family. You know, it really dumbfounds me how these guys couldn't have seen how wicked these guys were. Tells me they might have been very clever keeping their evil works where only Nehemiah saw it. But why? One, I think perhaps they didn't see how evil these guys really were firsthand, the way Nehemiah saw it. And number two, it's possible they just didn't have a shepherd's heart like Nehemiah had a shepherd's heart and had shepherd eyes to see how evil these guys really were. But Tobiah, you know, we want to say, oh, the wall's over, it's done. These guys finally will quit attacking Nehemiah, quit attacking Jerusalem. Didn't happen, did it? They continued on. They didn't miss a beat. The wall gets done. Everybody's having a victory party. And these guys are right on plotting and planning and trying to hurt Nehemiah even after the wall is finished. Is 30 minutes up? And then some. What... um. What questions do you guys have or what input, what thoughts that you guys have on this topic tonight? Yes. It's, it's interesting to me how they can be doing the work of the Lord by building the wall and joining it together and being part of the team and doing all of that, but yet they don't really know the Lord because they didn't have discernment that this was bad. Yes. I mean, so it's, to me, it's really a lack of spiritual discernment, even though they're busy being little soldiers doing whatever, or following the format, or whatever it is, but they just were lacking something within themselves. Yes, very much so. And they had to have all been, I mean, I realize that Nehemiah was anointed to be a spiritual leader, he was able to do that, but at the same time, it's the people that didn't support him even after it was done again it just shows yeah it doesn't seem like they were intentionally trying to side with evil men they were just like sheep being and so you know chapter 8 because in Nehemiah that's the exciting chapter where um, they start reading the Bible and they realize 
we don't even understand the Hebrew. We've totally lost the language. We understand a few words. We understand mostly part of it. But they had never even heard that they were supposed to have the Feast of Tabernacles. And they were at the time of year when the Feast of Tabernacles was to happen. And then they start calculating it up. When did we do it last? The last time it was done in Israel is when Joshua did it. 400 and over 500 years earlier. We've never in simple obedience obeyed God. I don't understand everything that you're reading, Ezra, but let's just stop and build a tabernacle. When they had that simple obedience, God's spirit poured out on them. Simple obedience. I used to tell my kids, you know, quick and simple obedience is obedience, but slow obedience is no obedience. <laughs> and uh, I, I just think that simple, quick obedience is a real humble, submissive heart. Yeah. Anything? Anybody else? Right in the back, back there. Yeah, you make a very good point. Yeah, I guess you know it's a very good point you make. You know, if you if it was just regular life and somebody you you hear that somebody's gossiping about you, you'd go to them and talk to them. If they don't hear you, you take two more, like Matthew eighteen says, and you know deal with it that way. And that that's true. I think what I'm talking about is when there's just spiritual attack. When there's spiritual attack against the church or against the pastor or, um, you know, there, there was a guy back when Maranatha Music started and we're in the middle of revival. I mean, God's just moving at Costa Mesa and Calvary chapels are starting all over the nation. And there was this guy for a couple of years that went around who claimed that he knew Chuck Smith and that Chuck, he was there. He had inside knowledge of Chuck becoming a member of the Illuminati and that the Satan church gave Chuck a million dollars to start Maranatha Music to bring guitar and drums into Christianity to defile Christianity and destroy Christianity. And this guy was, was couldn't, he was speaking every week and all over the nation, thousands of people listening to him, just bag Chuck, you know. And uh, interesting enough, he was speaking in Pasadena and Kay Smith decided to go. And he started in and she just stood up and said, you're a liar. And they're like, who are you? I'm Kay Smith. 
And uh, you're, you're just absolutely lying. It did end that guy. He, he, he no longer had any more speaking. They, she ended it. So, yeah. But I know Chuck, and I, I've been through spiritual attack, and I've been through it with Chuck, and Chuck would said, don't even try to defend yourself, Brian. Just teach the word, move forward, and uh, let God defend you. So. That's right. He did not revile in return. Yes. Um, so these guys, the three guys, wanted to kill Nehemiah. So they could talk to the story with the people and so forth. It seems like when there's a lot of confusion or if there's chaotic times or a chaotic scene or whatever, whether it be at work or the culture or even the church, if you go back to the basic roots, the basic laws, the basic foundation, all that chaos seems to disappear, the smoke and dust clears out, and you can kind of see what's really happening. Whether it be an engineering with something, a building falls, mm -hmm. like, oh my goodness, what happened? You realize it violated basic laws. And again, too, we're going to kill this guy. I'm thinking, the Ten Commandments, I mean, how much clearer can you get? Thou shalt not murder. You know, this, was before, this was before Jesus said, we have pain in your heart. I mean, physically, you cannot you know, do something like this. But yet, it's needed. Chuck used to always call it the blessed subtraction. He's just like every once in a while, God just has to shake things up so you can see who is Peter and who is Judas, you know. Um, David had to, to see who really was for him and who was acting like they were for him. But as soon as uh, Absalom shows up, they're gone. You know, it's like, oh, gee, you were my best friend. I, I trusted you more than anybody. And you're the guy who stabbed me in the back immediately. I would not have guessed that. But yeah, those, those times of attack do reveal the truth about people. And, um, and we're often surprised. For sure, for sure. And yeah, it does, it does take us back to the foundations. I mean, if you haven't been praying, you start praying a lot. If uh, It makes you very simple, very quick, and you're right back to the foundation. Sure does. Well, good stuff, and I, I think we'll have time to share with one another. Come on up, Matthias, and let's sing a couple of songs, and and uh, let's pray. Let's let's ask the Lord to, to build our wall, and what is that? And that God would raise up leaders, and and uh, and that He would do here what it is. I mean, we we desire here that in this area that we would reach our area and beyond, whatever our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. There are people that are like us. They're sheep like us, that they, they won't be fed as well as they will be here. They won't be connected as well as they will here. They won't be cared for as well as they will be here. And we want to be the people of God that God can bring those sheep and they will be well cared for. And that God would then raise up all the ways that we can minister to our people, through the, to the kids, to the youth, in missions, to the sick, to the poor, whatever piece of the pie God has for us, that we would see the new Jerusalem and we would see the walls go up and, and what God's doing here in, in our little fellowship. And we know it's really just the portion of the wall connected to the bigger wall of, of the universal group of believers throughout the world, but 
that we would just come and say, God, here we are. Here's our little piece of the pie, and we want to be all, say all, do all that you would have for us. Lord, here we are. We just make ourselves available.